Well, thanks very much, uh, Kevin, and uh, good morning to everyone. It's great to be here today. We're going to be, um, in a moment, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 23, and we're going to cover the verses that were um, we didn't get to cover last week, so we're going to read in a moment from verses 13 through to 39. And what we'll see there is when we read them, we'll see some really harsh words that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke. Well, I say harsh words. I think we'll, we'll agree they're harsh words. That the Lord Jesus Christ spoke to the religious leaders in his time. In this passage, it is the last time that the Lord Jesus Christ addresses these religious leaders. And we'll see continually the word woe to them. Woe to them. And the word often repeated, they are hypocrites. That was his judgment upon them. You see, when the Lord Jesus Christ was here, one of the staunchest opponents against him was the established religious people. Established religion was and still is one of the staunchest opponents against the Lord Jesus Christ. And he speaks to them, um, not saying that they're good at their religious, but really he speaks to them, exposing their hypocrisy, as we'll see, and exposing the judgment that will come upon them. What's the difference? What's the difference between religion and Christianity? What's the difference between religion and Christianity? Well, it could be summed up in a few ways, I would suggest. Religion really could be summed up in the sense I mean it in one word, do. To some degree, a person is going to try to do something to please God and earn his favour. To do something. Christianity is summed up in a word similar but totally opposite, done. Summed up in one word, done. Christ has died upon the cross to save sinful men. The work has been done. And all that the Bible tells us to do is not to do things to earn God's favour, but to trust in Jesus Christ. So, religion has a salvation in which man is trusting, to some degree, his own good works. To some degree, his own good works. Might be wholly trusting in his works, or trusting in his works and something of what Christ has done, as if the work of Christ was insufficient for his salvation. Christianity has a man has a salvation in which a man or a woman or a child is trusting wholly in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ upon Calvary's cross. The work has been done and it's trusting in Christ alone as we often sing, not Christ in anything else. And religion would then say, as you can see from this, good, th- good works are what I need to be do, what I need to do to be saved. Good works are what I need to do to be saved. That's religion for you. Christianity says no, not at all. Christianity says good works are the result or the fruit of a person who has been saved, and the life of Christ is 
in them and working in them. So at the core, at the core of the Christian message, at the core of the gospel message, is a, is a message about how a man, a woman, any individual can have a relationship with the one true God and to know that power in their lives, to understand that there is eternal life. The Bible clearly teaches, and the Lord Jesus Christ taught oftentimes to these people, that there is nothing that they could do to make themselves right with God. No works, no anything else like that. However they might try, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. That sin must be punished by a just God. It cannot be swept aside. It cannot be put under the carpet at all. But because of God's great love for people in this world, for God's love for people like you and me, he sees us as all our rebellion and all our disobedience and all our sin, but he sends his son into this world. The Lord Jesus Christ, whom we're going to think on his words just in a moment, we're going to read them together, but he sends him into this world and Christ goes to the cross and he takes the punishment for sin not his own, upon himself, so that any individual, no matter how rebellious, no matter how disobedient they might have been, how religious they might have thought themselves, can look to him, trust in him, and know complete salvation. And so, religion is based on doing and works. Christianity The true message of Christianity is about God's grace. A message about God's grace. His unconstrained goodwill to the undeserving. To the undeserving. And it is a message of how man, women, children can be restored to God and have that relationship with him. Now the Lord Jesus Christ had continually taught this. And in this last address he speaks predominantly to those who would not accept that. To those who would not accept that, and in fact would lead others away from accepting that as well. So let us read together Matthew 23, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, predominantly to the scribes and to the Pharisees, but then to the whole city, as it were, in general, the whole nation. Verse 13. The Lord Jesus speaks, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. For you neither enter yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar, swears by it, 
and by everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it, and by him who dwells in it. And whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God, and by him who sits upon it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithlessness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgent. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, Hypocrites, for you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the day of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you, are, thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your fathers, you serpents, you brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send you prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill and crucify, and some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Amen. So we've seen, we've read together God's words and we received really his, we've seen really the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, we've read seven woes and we've thought about what, what is the hypocrisy of the religious people. You know, it brings before us, before I say anything else, that the Lord Jesus Christ knows the hearts of men and women. You know, these people, and people now, people like you and me, we might be able to fool other people. 
We might be able to fool with our pretense and things like that. And people can in this world. I'm not saying just everyone in this room is individually. Don't get offended by that. But we can as individuals. We can fool. But we cannot fool God. Very clear, the Lord Jesus Christ speaks and he can see right into the heart. He knows the motives, he knows the desires, he knows everything that is done in the private as well as the public place. There is no hiding from him. And we see in this text here today, don't we, that he exposes their hearts. And that might have been surprising to some who are listening, who would have looked on these people as religious and very upright and worthwhile. But he says, I know your heart. I know your motives, I know your desires, I know what stirs you up in life. And as we have seen, he says, you are hypocrites. We'll think about that in a moment. So I'll clear something up. Some of you will have some, or the observant of you have known, uh, will have seen if you've got Bibles with numbers of verses in, which pretty much everyone has, that in many versions there's no verse 14. You'll see that, and everyone's now looking down, have I got a verse 14? So uh, most of you have not. Some of you have got a verse 14. Okay, just to clear that up, the words in verse 14 speak uh, in the versions which have a verse 13, 14, about those who go and devour widows' houses and make a pretense were long prayers that's verse 14 in the authorised and the New King James Version those words are found in Mark chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 20 of all other versions so we have no doubt that the Lord Jesus Christ did speak those words, he did speak those words the question then does come did Matthew actually originally record them Okay, and texts which have uh, been found uh, nearer the time okay, seem to indicate not now we're not going to make a big deal about that so my suspicion is they were not originally recorded by Matthew if you think they were well that's great fine but we all know the Lord Jesus spoke those words anyway so there's your verse 14 mystery and probably maybe some of you thought I didn't even know I didn't have a verse 14 until you mentioned it but there we go just for those who were looking but we have seen then in Matthew 23 the Lord Jesus Christ seven times says woe Whoa, it's this kind of a lament to you. You are going to lament because of your hypocrisy. Six times in these seven woes, he calls the people hypocrites. The idea there, of course, is a person who has a mask on. Yes, it's raining very hard outside, but I'll try and be more interesting, okay? So if you could sort of keep your eyes on me. Yes, it's raining, I know it's raining, you know. Scotland, we've seen lots of rain, lots of times, you know. You can see it all afterwards. Right, so hypocrites. And the idea there is if someone has a mask on of respect, you see um, someone who hides behind a veneer that's the idea of that, it always reminds me when I read the word hypocrites, you know uh, we were fortunate enough, we went to Alaska once and we went to these towns you might remember hundred or so years ago there was a gold rush there was real economic depression in America gold had been found up in, in Alaska and uh, people went up there um, and to try and get gold out of the mountains and some did what was interesting actually was six times more money was made by those who sold uh, things to search for gold than those who actually found gold um, but when you went to these towns what was interesting, these shops had sprung up you see and the guide and would tell us they looked really nice from the outside, right? Really nice from the outside. There was this facade, all looked beautiful, appealing, and all that. 
But what lay behind them really was no more than a run-down garden shed, you see. But they'd made it all look nice from the outside, attractive to people. And that kind of really illustrates what it means by hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. That there is a facade put up and behind it is something that is far different from that is what is being presented. And the Lord Jesus Christ, first he says, woe to them. The first one is perhaps the most serious one, okay? Perhaps the most serious one. He says, you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces because you are not going to enter it and you do not allow others to enter it either. You know, the ministry of our Lord Jesus was continually to speak about the kingdom of heaven. That was his teaching as Matthew's gospel brings before us the kingdom of heaven. What about, what could I say about that in summary? Well, let me just read a few things. In Matthew chapter 4, it says there, time, from that time Jesus began to preach saying this, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So the message about the kingdom of heaven was, we can say, a message about repentance. How people would need to turn from what they were doing and turn to him. Repent. Okay. And that's a humbling thing to do for a person to repent. It's a repentance of sin. To realise a state that you have before God and to repent of that. Because he said in Matthew chapter 5, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so the scribes and the Pharisees were to most, you know, so the people who looked upon them, the most righteous people they could ever think of, who were keeping the law meticulously. Obviously, it was a facade, as we'll see. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, you need a righteousness which far exceeds that. And that's unobtainable by a person's good works. You need a righteousness that comes from elsewhere, is really what he's saying. And that is a righteousness that I can provide. A righteousness that I can provide. And a righteousness that he does provide for all who will trust in him. So entrance into the kingdom of heaven is through repentance and obtaining righteousness. And he says this, Matthew 18. Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in summary then, the message about coming into the very kingdom of heaven, which was said then by our Lord Jesus Christ, the same for us today. For you, as an individual, to enter into that kingdom of heaven. To enter into the kingdom of God. It's an acknowledgement of a sinful state that you have. And a righteousness that you require, that you cannot obtain yourself by your own work. And it's to become like that child. Not childish, but to become childlike in trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, unless you turn and become like 
children. So his acknowledgement of sinfulness and inability to achieve a righteousness under my own good works and to trust like a little child trusts in their father or mother to trust in Jesus Christ. Now the, the religious people rejected that. They rejected it because their pride, their pride, their ego would not allow them to confess that they needed to repent of their sin and to trust in Jesus Christ. They were thinking, well, I can achieve my own righteousness and to make myself right in God's sight. But the Lord Jesus says, no, you couldn't. Well, they rejected that plainly. They wouldn't humble themselves with regard to that. And what the Lord Jesus says, your zeal in rejecting me means you put obstacles in the path of others as well. So it's not that just you reject that message of God's grace to you, you are also putting these obstacles and your false teaching and your social pressure on others means they are not coming to me either. Woe to you! Woe to you who reject the message of God's grace and woe because you stumble other people as well. The second woe we'll see is that they were zealous. They, so, if you like, they had evangelistic zeal. But they had a zeal to make converts to their false religion. That's what Jesus says. You, you'll go over land, you'll go over sea to make one single proselyte. But we read, didn't we? When you do that, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Wow. So their zeal in taking their message across wherever and someone embracing that message, that false gospel, that false religion made them a child of hell. So we see it's no small thing, is it? When a person doesn't trust Christ and trusts in themselves and embraces something that is opposed to Christianity, to the message of God's grace. It's no small thing when different people come walking around your areas, perhaps, and knock on doors trying to sell you a religion that is opposed to the gospel of God's grace. It is no small thing. The words of our Lord Jesus Christ testify to that. It is a very serious thing. Woe to you who do such a thing that the Lord the Lord Jesus Christ says. That is terrible for you. Then he says in verses 16 to, through to 22, we've got a rather long, sort of, uh, a little bit sort of technical, I suppose, about this issue of sort of people who swear by the temple or the offering on the temple and all things like this. It's a rather detailed explanation explanation would be required and there's oaths made or promises made but there's a way of getting out of it that's really how we could sum that out you could you could make a promise in this religion but really there's a little way of getting out of not keeping your word and what he was saying to them was woe to you who find ways if your religion means that you can be deceptive with regard to the truth, if you can make futile distinctions between things, you, you have lost it. You are deceiving people by that. And your behaviour is totally opposite to God who keeps his word all times. A God who can be relied upon. A God whose promises are sure and certain. You are blind guides by making these futile distinctions over words and certain types of promises. 
That's opposite to what God does. Because when we read God's word, friends, when you open your Bible and you read the word of God, you can be absolutely sure that the promise that he has made to you, if there's a promise to you, he will keep that. There's no wiggling out of that in any way. And so they are opposed to the very character of God with regarding truth. But there's something else that marks the hypocrite. There's something else that marks false religion. And we see that in verses 23 to 24. It's what I've called a mark of works-based religion is to major on the minor. Okay, to major on the minor. He says you tithe, now that is to give 10%. So you take, there's laws about tithing, we don't need to go into all that today, but there were laws about tithing to those people, how they were to give 10% of all produce that they had. And he says you do that to the finest detail when it comes to these little herbs like mint, dill and cumin. I've no idea what the last two are, but I think I know what mint is, okay? But perhaps you do know. But they're very small, herbs and things like that, spices. And he says, you are meticulous. Now, he doesn't commend them for doing that. He says, these you ought to have done. But he says, you, when you do this, you actually are neglect, neglecting the weightier matters of the law. There are things like justice, mercy, and righteousness that should be outflowing from your heart, that you should be intensely interested in, that the person who has truly has a transformed life, has the heart of God within them, will be a person who is interested in fairness, in justice that is. They will be interested in mercy because they know that they have received mercy, so they'll love to show mercy. They'll be interested that mercy is shown. And they will be interested in righteousness, in holiness. And the Lord Jesus Christ says, you have neglected the weightier matters of the law. Yes, you ought to have done this tithing of herbs and all that. that. That's fine. That is a valid requirement for you. It was a valid requirement for them. It's not a valid requirement for us now. Okay, but it was for them. But he says, you're missing the weightier matters. And what's the issue? Well, the issue is this, that the religious with unchanged hearts can easily major on the minor. Can easily major on the minor. It's relatively easy to take a minor thing and to make it the big thing. Take a minor thing and make it a big thing. Now, everything in God's word is important. Everything. But we can even see from the words of our Lord Jesus Christ here, when he speaks about the weightier matters, that some things are more important than others. Some things are more important than others. He says that, you know, the righteousness, the justice and the fairness. Now, of course, with those with unchanged hearts that haven't truly been touched by the grace of God will not have those interests of God at their heart. But it is relatively easy to take herbs and say, well, I'll give a ten for my herbs and spices. And to appear to the outward people to be extremely meticulous about God's law. That you've got an extreme interest in every single little detail of what God's word says. But inside, actually, you haven't been changed. And these big things, which should be so evident, are not there. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows the heart of us. He knew the heart of them. He knows the heart of us. He knows the heart of everyone. 
And so it does speak. You know, the Lord Jesus never called those who were his people hypocrites. He never called them that. But if we're sitting here today, and we think, when I'm a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, does this impact me at all here? Well, we can act hypocritically. Okay. We can act. We will not be called hypocrites. We are not hypocrites. That's not what defines us. But it is possible. It is possible even for the believer in Jesus Christ to act hypocritically, okay, in some areas. And so to major on the minors. The Lord Jesus Christ uses it. He says, you you, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. You think, what's all that about? I can imagine a gnat being strained, but camel's going to be pretty hard to swallow. And of course... Those animals were, were uh, two animals which were unclean in their law. The gnat being the smallest, of course, the camel, as you can imagine, being the largest. And, of course, uh, they, could, they could drink wine or whatever liquid they would drink through clenched teeth, so make sure the gnat didn't come into them. You know, they wouldn't take a gnat inside them. But he says, you'll swallow all the other stuff, like being bitter, like being unforgiving, being unrighteous, unfair, that will come into you as well. You'll swallow the camel with regard to that. Meticulous about formal ceremonial triviality, but unconcerned about things like dishonesty, bitterness, greed, and a multitude of other heart issues. That marks the religious who haven't been changed by the grace of God. The fifth and sixth one are very similar. Again, they deal with externalism. He says, you clean, as you look in verse 25 there, you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Really, again, it's this idea of keeping up appearances. The idea of keeping up appearances. Now, that was apparently a name of a hit comedy show many years ago, decades ago. You might be aware of that. The way some of you are looking blankly at me, you're completely unaware of it. But keeping up appearances was a name of that. But it actually describes, in these next words, the fifth and the sixth woe, what these people wanted to be. External appearance was of supreme importance to them and the inside did not matter as long as it was not seen okay that was that and they could fool the people and in some sense they thought they were fooling God you know because we're doing all this and what the people think is what God thinks that was their foolish delusion there is a sense in all of us where we keep up appearances isn't there in all of us, you know, if we're honest, we all do that to some degree, don't we? You know, this is actually on a Sunday, this is me at my best, you see. Um, I was speaking to a friend of mine uh, on Thursday. He's not a Christian. And, you know, uh, I was speaking to him about sin. And he said, Paul, I, I, I really can't see nowadays how I sin. I said, I could have seen that in the past by things I do. But now I, I really can't see that. So I explained to him the things that perhaps he should do, but doesn't do. Give thanks to God for everything that he has in life. And I said, well, what about these things like, you know, anger perhaps? 
impatience that is in within us. You know, we need that forgiveness that comes from God. I said, I said to him, I said, I, 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 I display anger at times and I display impatience. And he actually looked at me and said, I can't believe that. I said, well, you know, I'll take her to see my wife. And uh, <laughs> I did say that, actually. <laughs> but and that's true for me, that's true for you. It's true for you as well, in some, to some area, right? But he couldn't recognise his sin, that which was inside. And that's serious, isn't it? And these people were all to do with externals as well. And really what we learn from scripture is those who have been touched by God's grace, those who have been touched by the gospel, their hearts are renewed. So they have different desires, they have different motivation, everything. And out from them comes different ways of living. But the religious put on to the outward appearance a different way, but the heart has not truly been touched by the very grace of of God, and that is what the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking of here. You, 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 you're indulgent in cleaning the outside, but inside, look at that. You are full of greed and self-indulgent. It is first an internal issue. Get the inside right. Have a new heart created, and that comes by the grace of God for embracing Christ. He speaks of them as whitewashed tombs. You know, a person could become ceremonially unclean for days by touching a dead body. He says, you appear to be attractive in that, but inside you're full of dead bones. Really showing to them, people come into contact to you and they're defiled because of your hypocritical teaching about religion. And then the seventh woe that comes upon them, perhaps bookends it, it says, you know, you, you decorate these tombs of the prophets. There's, if you like, there's the graveyard. Uh, where the prophets, the God's messengers, who have been killed before, uh, they lie there. And what you have done, you have made them all decorative. And you have said, we wouldn't have done such a thing. We would not have killed God's messenger. They recognise that their forefathers did. And we can read in the history of the Old Testament how they did predominantly. How the messengers of God were treated by those who are meant to be the people of God. They were saying, we would not have done that. We would not have done that. But the Lord Jesus Christ tells them, You bear witness against yourselves, verse 31, that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Because at that very time, what were they seeking to do? They were seeking to kill the ultimate prophet. The messenger who was from God himself, the one who was God himself. They were seeking to silence, eliminate the Lord Jesus Christ. They were even more wicked than their godly ancestors. They were totally blinded to the fact that they were about to crucify the very Son of God. And what was going to come upon them, as we'll think, was rightful condemnation. You know, that in their pride, in their ego, that should have been so insulted with a message about sin, repentance, and about childlike faith, They wanted to eliminate the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, woe to you. Woe to you who will do that. You know, today, people can't crucify Christ. Of course they cannot. But they seek to eliminate him and his message. And individuals seek to do that in life. 
They've got a side, perhaps, with the religious message of good works. I can make myself right with God. In fairness, that is what my friend was saying. That really, that this stuff about sin and repentance and faith is not necessary. I'm, f- I'm, I'm pretty good. That's what they thought. So the attitude still goes on, doesn't it? Although we cannot crucify Christ, many people still would like to eliminate that message from their their being, if you like, from where they are. And Christ says, woe to you who do such a thing. So that's the condemnation, and quite quickly there's the judgment of them. You know, our actions will have a consequence. Their actions would have a consequence. And the Lord Jesus Christ says to them, you know, I'm going to send people... And he's testifying to his deity here, verse 34. I will send prophets and wise men and scribes. This is what I am going to do. The Lord Jesus Christ is referring to a time after his crucifixion, his subsequent resurrection, and his ascension up to the Father. And he is referring to a time then that he will send men who will testify about him. And he did. And he raised men up who would testify about him. Stephen... Stephen stands, we read it in Acts 7, and he testifies to Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, faith in him. They stoned him to death. James, Acts chapter 12, same message. Beheaded by Herod, because it pleased the Jews, the religious people. And then Paul, the one who persecuted Christians, became a Christian himself, realised that all his good works was foolishness. Couldn't achieve the righteousness that God required. He trusted in Jesus Christ for righteousness, and the one who was the persecutor became the persecuted. You know, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ become exactly true. This is what you will do to my messengers. And he says, as a result, these things will come upon you. The blood of all these will come upon you. You know, the message of the gospel always elicits a response always elicits a response the religious people there were going to reject it and there would be a consequence there would be a consequence for them that in their generation they would see the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple that would happen the full measure of their sin had come upon them but just as we close I want you to look at these words at the end The heartfelt cry of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who had been rejected, the one who had been despised. In verse 37 he says, as it were, to the city, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which represents almost the nation, to these people. He says, you are the one who kills the prophets and stone those who are sent to it. What What a name for a city, eh? The city that kills the prophets and stones those sent to it. He says this, I longed to gather you. You know, he says that to a people who had been rebellious rejectors of him and of those he had sent. That is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I longed for that. He longs for those who have hated him and rebelled against him to come to him. He offered them as individuals, a genuine invitation to come to him for salvation. They had an individual responsibility to come to him for salvation. And there would be 
individual consequences for their reaction. Now that is true for you and I today. So let me read that again. He longs for those who have rebelled against him to come to him. He offers a genuine invitation for salvation to come to me. You have an individual responsibility to respond to that. And there are consequences for your reaction. And they are vastly different, as we've said already. You know, time has gone. You'll notice that the Lord Jesus Christ did say to them right at the end, You will see me again to the nation. You will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There would be a time, he says, for the nation, as a nation, that you indeed will say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But for those individuals, it would depend for them in their time on earth how they reacted. And friends, that's the same for us today. It's a message of God's grace. It is a message that was rejected by them and there's consequence for it. Friends, there's a message about rejection for us. There's a message about God's grace. Don't be hypocritical. Don't be a hypocrite. Embrace Christ and know him and the power within. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you today. We thank you for your word, Father. We thank you your word teaches us clearly. It teaches us plainly. Help us all to understand it, Father, this day. And help us all to look to Christ, trusting in him for salvation. Relying upon him for our eternal salvation. And the work that he, through the power of the Holy Spirit, can do within all those who have turned to him. Help us to do that, we pray. If we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.